Good morning, and thank you for participating in another episode of Dubai's Daughter. I have the pleasure of speaking with Mr. John Sanchez this morning. If you would, John, can you introduce yourself to us? Sure. I am a uh, communication skills trainer. Let me let me rephrase that. I'm a corporate trainer. My specialty is communication skills. I do do some training in some other topics, but that's that's my favorite. Um, and I'm a recovering accountant. Um, I'm not in a 12-step program, but I say that because I'm I'm still recovering from the poor communication skills that were almost kind of drilled into my head when I was an accountant, which is what got me into teaching communication skills in the first place. You are fortunate to have you speak with us today. Can you tell me about your first business etiquette experience and the results? My first etiquette experience was actually in high school, but it wasn't, huh. I, it kind of was... I kind of feel like it was business etiquette, even though it wasn't business. I was in uh, junior ROTC in high school, <clears throat> excuse me. And so every year we had a, a military ball. So we got dressed up in our class A uniforms and each year they would send us down to, uh, for a special etiquette class that the uh, home economics teacher did specifically, specifically for the cadets to teach us um, like, you know, which, forks to use first and kind of general etiquette or like a formal event like that. Yeah. Um, business etiquette, I guess the first experience I can think of was um, being in a big meeting where there were people that were probably two or three or more levels senior to me in that meeting. Um, and the only business etiquette that I knew was to just keep my mouth shut unless I was asked a question. There wasn't a whole lot that I was taught. I'll put it that way. When did you learn about business etiquette? Yeah, it's, it's hard to say because I don't, I don't think I ever had any kind of a formal exposure to it. I think it was kind of just learning on the job, learn as you go kind of thing. Um, I guess primarily when I did something I shouldn't have done, and then somebody you know, would take me aside later and say, hey, you don't want to do that. Speaking out of turn probably was the biggest one. Yeah. You know, just speaking up when I wasn't called on. Uh, what are you doing career-wise? Mostly, uh, most of the people that I deal with in my training are through associations. So, for example, I, I got into training sort of through the back door, if you will. Someone asked me if I would speak at a conference, and I was like, "Well, what is? How does that work? I, I'd never, I'd never done that before." They said, well, we have these conferences that we do all over and we have speakers on different topics. And they asked me initially to speak about budgeting because that's what I did when I worked at some big companies is I, I put together the budgets for different departments in the company. So they asked me to speak on that and I did and it went well. And I, I ended up doing a handful more for that same company. And I realized, hey, like people make a living doing this. Like this yeah. is just like a side gig that I was doing, but I enjoyed it more than the consulting stuff that I had been doing before that. So I started to think, well, if I'm proactive and I actually try to go and find clients instead of just taking whatever falls in my lap by chance, I could actually do this for a living instead of what the other stuff. Um, and because I had an accounting background, I started out by approaching associations that served accounting and finance professionals. So for example, if you have a CPA or you ever worked with a CPA, CPA licenses are done by the state. 
Yes. So there is a state society of CPAs in all 50 states. And then there's a national body called the American Institute of CPAs. Um, so I've worked with them and I've worked with some of the state societies of CPAs. Um, there's another association that I've worked with for going on about nine years now called the Association for Financial Professionals. And they have two certifications that they deal with. And so everyone that has those certifications, they have to have a certain amount of continuing education every year to maintain those licenses. And so the training that I do qualifies for part of that education that they need to have to keep their, their licenses current. Same thing with the CPAs. That was my first job out of college, actually, is at a CPA firm. That's awesome. Question. So if, um, if you have to keep those certifications or are you keeping those certifications now or were you doing that when you were working with them? I, I don't have a CPA certification. So the classes that I do qualify for credits for the people that do have CPA licenses. That's good. Yeah, but I don't, I don't maintain a CPA license. Yes, that's, that's very interesting. Uh, in high school, did you know what you wanted to do? Um, I, I thought I knew what I wanted to do, but the interesting thing is that the, the things that I thought I wanted to do, I knew nothing about. I, I wanted to do them because of my perception of what they were. I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, my mom worked on the Air Force Base near where we live. She worked in the, the legal office of the Air Force Base. And one day we were in the BX, the base exchange, which is kind of like a, like a Walmart in the military, kind of. Mm -hmm. um, and they had this big table of like discount books, you know, books for like 25 cents, 50 cents, something like that. And my mom's a big reader. So she's looking through the books. So I started looking through the books. And I picked up this one book. It was called Will by a guy named uh, G. Gordon Liddy. And I'm going to date myself here, but my gray hair already, already gives away my age, so it doesn't really matter. G. Gordon Liddy was an FBI agent back, way back in the Watergate days when President Nixon was involved in that Watergate scandal. G. Gordon Liddy was one of the FBI agents that was involved in that scandal. As a matter of fact, he was the only FBI agent that he was the only one of any of them that were involved with that scandal that actually served time in jail. And he claims in his autobiography that the reason that he went to jail was because he wouldn't give information on anyone. He wouldn't talk. And that's why they threw him in jail. Everybody else rolled over and, you know, kind of gave information on all the other guys and what they were doing to get a, a lighter sentence or whatever. It's that book, Will, was his autobiography. And he talked in that book about how when he was a kid, he was um, terrified of lightning and thunder. So one day he climbed up a tree and he forced himself to stay in this tree through this terrible thunderstorm. And the whole book, in hindsight, when I think about it now, it seems like a very self-serving book that made him sound like he was this real tough guy. But, yeah. you know, I was a kid. I was probably 13 years old. I'm reading this book thinking, wow, this guy is badass. And then he became an FBI agent. And he, he told stories in that book about what it was like to be an FBI agent. And I thought, that's got to be the coolest thing in the world to be an FBI agent. So that's what I wanted to do for the longest time. Up, up through, actually, right before I graduated from college, um, I went to Florida State University. 
And the Miami office of the FBI sent recruiters to our school to recruit CPAs. And I found out that the FBI actually has a white collar crime division and they very heavily recruit CPAs. And as soon as I found that out, I thought, this is just so lucky that I decided to be an accounting major. The semester before I graduated, there was a national hiring freeze and that was basically taken off the table. And I think in hindsight, it's probably a good thing because when I think back, I can't imagine having a job where I had to carry a badge and a gun. I don't know that I'm wired for that type of a job. How unfortunate that it didn't work out, but fortunate that they had those two together, the CPA and the FBI. Well, we're glad you're doing what you're doing now. Thank goodness, because you're helping companies such as myself and so many others out there with budgeting, trying to figure out what we're doing here. We know what we need, but we can't do it. So that's where you come into place. So we thank you for being here for that. Sometimes when I think about it, I wish I had done it because it sounds exciting. Um, but you know, I don't know. It's, it's not, it's not a, a regret. I'll put it that way. Well, that's good. No regrets. That's not that one. You should have been a comedian, guys. So oh, that was another one. Yeah, when I was a kid, I thought I wanted to be a comedian too. But I think I realized when I got in the work world, I'm like, uh, I'm like water cooler funny. Right. I'm like guy in the office funny. I'm not like Kevin Hart funny. I'm not like make a hundred thousand people laugh funny. Did you intern um, in high school? Uh, no, I didn't actually. I had some, I had some jobs in college that were not like career jobs, but they weren't internships. They were just, I, it was just to make a few bucks while I was in college. I would have interned, but thankfully I got a, I got a job offer about six months before I graduated. Um, and at the school that I went to, like 90 plus percent of the accounting majors had job offers before they graduated. That's um, great. Now, if you don't mind, what year did you graduate college? I graduated in 91. In, in 91, 90% of your college? That's great. Yeah. Well, accounting is a Part of the reason that I picked accounting is when I was looking at, I thought I wanted to do something in business. So when I was a kid, I thought I wanted to own my own business when I grew up because my dad was in the army for 30 years. My mom worked for civil service and we were never poor, but we didn't have a lot of stuff. Like, you know, we didn't go on a lot of vacations. My parents always seemed like they had two jobs pretty much my, my whole time growing up. So, and I looked at that and I thought they're both smart and they're hardworking, but they don't make a lot of money. And as I got older, I started to realize if they had had their own businesses with as hard as they worked, they probably would have made a lot of money, but because they worked government jobs, government jobs are, are very limited in, in how much you can make. Yes. They're, they're stable, but you know, you don't make a ton of money working for the government. So when I got to college, I thought, well, I think I want to do something in business. So I should get some kind of a business degree if I'm going to have my own business someday. And I kind of figured out that for me, it seemed like accounting was the hardest degree within the business school. And for me, it, it turned out to be the case because I, you know, I had to take classes in, in all the other disciplines. So marketing and 
uh, management and risk management and information systems and finance. At FSU to get an accounting degree, I think I was only like two classes short of also getting a finance degree. Because um, you had to take quite a bit of finance for an accounting degree. So a major in accounting and a minor in finance, but you're just two classes short. Yeah, and I, I almost I almost got a master's because in the state of Florida, um, to to qualify to sit for the seat to take the CPA exam to become a CPA, mm -hmm. there was uh, I think it's probably a national thing now, but back then it was only certain states. Uh, they had a fifth year requirement, so you had to have a fifth year with certain specific uh, accounting classes under your belt to even qualify to even take the CPA exam. Um, so I had taken those classes. So by the time I graduated, I was only a few classes short of a master's degree, but I didn't want to go through the, the cost and, and to get into the master's program, you had to take the GMAT test and there was you know extra costs associated. I just wanted to get the heck out and start making money. That, that was my whole, like mission in life. And it didn't stop you from not getting that master's degree. That didn't stop you at all. Well, I never, I never finished a master's degree. That's what I'm saying, not by not having it. Oh yeah, no, 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 not at all. No. You're doing great in business. I'm right. doing okay. Could always be doing better. That's how I look at it. Yeah, always. No, no complaints though. So our next question is, how do you think company culture impacts business etiquette? I think it's huge. Um, when I think the biggest surprise that I had my first job out of college was I was absolutely shocked at the way people talk to each other. People cursed like you would not believe. And I thought like, you know, when I was interviewing, I was always trying to be careful to, you know, make sure that I said the right thing and didn't say the wrong things like cursing wouldn't even cross my mind like no way no how and then i get to this office of this company i worked at and they're using f-bombs like a comma wow. i mean left and right and talking to each other you gotta keep in mind i graduated in 91 so i started work in 91 and culture was much different back then i would say the way that the normal everyday conversations in that office would have gotten every single person in that office probably sued and fired in today's culture. Yes. It was very misogynistic. Um, there were managers that would say things to women that just were, I mean, like, I thought my head was gonna explode. They would touch them inappropriately, like the, the guy that recruited me, the manager that recruited me was the one that did our sexual harassment training in like new, new employee orientation. And the joke around the office was that he, he taught the sexual harassment training because he knew so much about it. Like he was just, he was terrible. Um, but that was the culture throughout the whole office and actually throughout the whole company because one of the first things that we did, it was a, an international CPA firm. So one of the first things that we did is we got sent off to national training. So they had like two or three um, national trainings that everybody in the country, like I, I went to California, I worked in the Miami office, but they sent us to California and there was like hundreds of people in this like national training. 
And even there, they would tell you in a class things that were appropriate. But as soon as the class was over, they'd say and do things that were completely inappropriate. Wow. It was, it was weird. The man, as a matter of fact, there were managers that would take us out to happy hours and they would have like an open tab and the managers would be paying the bill, like getting all the students drunk. And then go back Nuts. class? We had, we had a guy in my class that like, didn't he, he didn't even make it out of the room. He was so sick the next day, he threw up right in the middle of the class because he'd gotten so drunk the night before. And the manager who taught the class was like there with everybody. It, it like blew my mind. I was like, I can't believe like they're doing this, but that was the culture. Wow. For the women, I can't even imagine what they went through. I can't imagine what they went through. When, when I worked, I worked at Royal Caribbean Cruises for a couple of years and there was one woman in a department of, there's probably, I guess there was like five or six guys. And it was horrible. I was pretty good friends with her. And I mean, it was almost to the point that it would make her cry sometimes that they would just say things like, they weren't so much, uh, they weren't sexual in nature at all. It wasn't like sexual harassment. It was just like, like talking about her like she wasn't as good as the guys. Like she wouldn't get put on certain projects. She wouldn't be given credit for things. And she was, I mean, she had an MBA. She was at least as smart. She's probably smarter than most of the guys and worked definitely as hard. But it was, it was kind of sad because I was pretty good friends with her and I would see how frustrated she would get. And there was nothing I could do. I mean, I was, I was a low on the totem pole guy in the, the department, you know, same as, as she was, but I could see it going on. And it's funny because now the conversations that I get into with people when I'm asking them questions like, what are some of the topics that are important areas that you feel like your company needs training in? And at the top of the list in a lot of conversation is diversity, inclusion, and equity. Yes. And, and I think they, they ask the question, maybe assuming that I provide that type of training because I'm Hispanic. I, I don't, I don't have any classes in that in that area. Um, I don't know anything about the laws. I mean, I could talk about, you know, cultural things, but that's a very specialized part of HR. Um, but it's a big, it's a big area now. It's a big topic. And as it should be, it, it really should be. Um, and I love, I really love this question. And whoever I ask always has a different answer for it. But the, the, the answer is that company culture definitely impacts business etiquette. Oh, it's huge. It's huge. So we heard you, you talk about um, your college. What level of education do you have? Okay. I've taken some classes. I've taken a bunch of classes since I've graduated. But as far as a, an actual degree, I just have a bachelor's degree. Um, I took a bunch of classes. Uh, when I thought I wanted to change careers. Um, and I've always read a lot about psychology. I've just always been fascinated by why we do the things that we do. So I took a bunch of classes thinking that I might want to get a master's in psychology. But at that time I was very, I was very money 
focused. And when I realized how much someone with even a master's degree in psychology made, it was less than what I was making already. And I thought, I'm going to spend all this money getting another degree to then make less money than I'm making now. And I was just so money focused that I thought, well, that doesn't make any sense. Now I, I kind of wish I would have done it way back then um, because I would have probably been doing work I was much more interested in and, and satisfied with. Degrees were important. It was important for you to have that level of education. And yeah. it's always showing that you're teachable. They're not worrying about how much money you have to pay on the back end or what, unless you get your feet in the door with who you know. Yeah, I think that's even changed a lot. Now is is uh, who knows you? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, the work world's very different. I, I find it fascinating too that there are companies that are more than happy to hire me as an outside consultant as a contractor, who would never consider hiring me as an employee. Take the the contract. You oh, may I'll take the contracts, but I just find it interesting that it's a lot of it is cultural. There's a lot of ageism out there. I'm in my fifties. There's not a lot of people if, you know, if they're looking at my resume and the resume of somebody half my age, it's not rocket science. They're probably not going to pick me if everything else is equal, but it's also interesting that for an employee, and I've seen job descriptions of jobs that are very similar to the, the work that I do. And they have all these requirements that I don't meet like a degree in training and development. I don't have, I have a degree in accounting, um, certain certifications in training and development, which I don't have all these things that they expect people to have as an employee. But when they talk to me and they're considering hiring me, they typically only want to know like three things. Oh, yeah. Have you done this type of work before for other people? Um, what kind of reviews do you have? Testimonials. We want to see testimonials from people who you've done work for so we can hear what they think. Right. Um, and then they actually want to see samples most of the time. So you'll see on my YouTube channel, you'll see some short videos of me actually delivering um, training. And this is you as, an, as a consultant. Mm -hmm. As a consultant and a trainer. To me, that's perfect. And, and yeah, there is ageism. So, so you hire someone, it depends on who in the company is not exemplifying business etiquette. If your manager is not, then you're lax as the employee and you're not. People pick things up from the culture. If the culture from the leadership is a certain way, then people assume that that's the way we do things around here. So do you continue to use your manners once you see that this company is just laxed and they're not using it? Well, this is, I think that's a very hard thing for a younger person. And I say that because I think now that I'm older, if I started working in an environment that had, let's say bad manners, just for, for easy, easy terminology, right? I think now at my stage of my life and my career, I would not want to work there and I would look for someplace else. But when I was younger, 
especially my first job out of college, I didn't know any better. I just assumed, oh, well, that's just the way it is because it's the only professional job I'd ever had. And actually, some other companies I worked at had some similarities, but when I left that job and I took the next job, it was almost the opposite in terms of the way people treated each other, not so much the work part of it, but personally, like the level of respect at my second job, it was night and day. And if, if people ask me about different jobs that I've had, I will always talk about that job. Like if it had not been for the fact that that company got bought when I was working there, I would have probably stayed there as long until they kicked me out. Because the people that I worked with, like we got, there was a level of respect there. Everybody looked out for each other in yeah. like everything, even little stuff. Like I remember one time we were traveling and I had just gotten my first American Express card and we went to check in and something was happened with my American Express card and it, it, it didn't go through or whatever. And I was getting all embarrassed and trying to, oh my God, what, we, what am I going to do? And one of the guys I work with just walked right up and put down his card. And it was like, I got it. Don't worry about it. I love that. He didn't even think about it. It was just like immediate. It was, just, it was a different, it was a whole different world. It's just very necessary that the young females see women business owners. They get to see, they don't know what she went through to get where she is. However, she's there. So let's cut out all that middle part. I think what you're talking about, one of the biggest values that I see in that is being able to know a level of a standard so that when they get into whatever the business and, and they see the culture there, they can identify quickly, like, hey, this is not a place that I want to be. Or the other side of the coin, hey, people treat each other professionally. Everyone else is observing proper business etiquette. So I feel comfortable here. This is someplace that I want to be because when I graduated college in that first job where everybody cursed and, and the, the culture was just not what I thought it would be, I had no standard to look to. I just thought, oh, well, this is just the way it is everywhere because it was the only professional job I ever had. And then when I left and went to another company, I was like, wow, what a breath of fresh air. Like these, if, it was like a whole different environment. If I had known that that level of business etiquette was out there at a high standard, I may not have stayed at that company. I may have thought, I got to get out of here. This is a bat. And it, it really, I think it really eroded my uh, attitude. I, I feel like I've always been like a very optimistic person and it started to affect my attitude. I just I felt negative about going to work. But that's how you were supposed to feel because that's not the type of person that you are. That was a bad fit for you. And just because you need a paycheck, you have to still have standards. What if you had fallen right into that? You wouldn't be the John that you are today. I think it's actually part of why I went out on my own. Uh, I went out on my own kind of accidentally. I was working at AutoNation and the, the division of the company I worked in got shut down. So like 400 and some people got laid off all at the same time. I was one of them, the whole division. Wow. And they hired me back as a consultant. So that was kind of accidental. I, I didn't plan it that way. But when it happened, I realized 
I don't have to, to uh, stifle my, my curiosity or my creativity when I'm working for myself. Like I, I used to have bosses tell me all the time, like I would ask them things like, well, why do we do X, Y, Z this way? You know, it seems kind of inefficient. Why don't we do it this way or that, you know, some different way, right? I just get an idea of how to improve something. And I used to find it very stifling when a boss would tell me, just, just do it the way we've always done it. Don't, don't try to reinvent the wheel. And I would think, well, I'm not trying to reinvent the wheel just for the sake of doing it different. I'm looking at a, a way of doing it that's better, that's more efficient. And when I was an employee and bosses would tell me, you know, stop asking why, I, I felt kind of stifled. And when I, when I began working for myself, I thought people valued, it's so strange. Like I was saying before about like with uh, people who would not hire me as, a, as an employee, but they'll hire me as a consultant, even back then. Things that I would say as an employee that bosses would be like, that, don't ask that. As a, as a consultant, they'd be like, oh, wow, that's a great question. And I think, how backwards is this? It is. You have people in your own company that have probably asked the same question, but because they're not a consultant and you're not paying them big bucks, you hush them. You tell them, just do it the way we told you to do it. But just because I have this consultant title and you're paying me more money, all of a sudden it's like, like everything I say is magically more you know, relevant or important. It's always struck me as strange how it people is. treat consultants. Well, well, how they treat their employees. Yeah. You treat your employees bad. So the employees in turn treat the customers bad. And all that is coming from the top. I think, I think the company that's got it right, that I, I think articulates it best is Richard Branson's companies, the Virgin companies. Uh-huh. And I heard him say in an interview, the customer is not always right. And our customer is not the most important person in my business. My employees are the most important people. Well, he gets that if those employees feel empowered and respected, they're going to do the right thing by the customer. It comes through to the customer, Yes. right? When you see, you, you may have seen this before, you're in an airport and somebody's at the ticket counter, they're trying to get something straightened out. You know, their ticket got messed up or whatever, and they're trying to get it straightened out. And they start berating the ticket agent, right? I've seen instances where they'll, they'll tell them, I need to speak to a manager. And some manager will come out and they'll talk to the ticket agent like they're scolding a, a child. They'll be like, all right, I'm going to take care of this. And they start apologizing for their employee. And Richard Branson's like the opposite. He's like, no, no, no. I'm going to stand up for the employee because I train them to always do what's best for both the company and the customer. So if I encounter a situation where the customer is berating my employee, I'm immediately standing up for my employee because I know my employees. I trust my employees. And I know that if that person is yelling at them, there's a much higher probability that my employee is in the right and that this person is just, maybe they're having a bad day, whatever the case, but that's not appropriate for them to be berating my employee. And then you come right in as the manager and add that extra onto your employee. That's a lot. Yeah, I guess just imagine how that must feel. You're getting berated by a customer and then your boss comes in and piles on. Yes. Like you already feel bad. And then imagine the flip side, a customer is giving you a hard time 
and your boss comes in and instead of piling on, your boss stands up for you? Yes. How does that make you feel on, on, on the flip side of that? It makes, yes. makes you feel pretty awesome. It's like, look, we all work hard. Don't, don't try to make it sound like it was somebody else's fault that just because you changed your mind. Hey, if you change your mind and you want something that you said wasn't due for a few days, that's fine. We'll, we'll get you whatever we have. We'll do our best to provide you whatever the information that you need. But just don't like throw somebody under the bus. Yeah. You know, just because you can't, because you're the CEO. And my boss was just like, I don't care who he is. You don't need to take that. You work for me, so I'm stepping in. Right. I will handle this. Have you noticed business etiquette lacking in companies today? Now, I know we're in Zoom land. Hmm. I know we're in virtual land. It's funny you mentioned that. That's, that's the biggest area where I see it is I see people that seem to think that because they're on Zoom, like all bets are off with etiquette. I see people on Zoom calls that work for Fortune 500 companies and then on a Zoom call in a, a t-shirt. And I'm like, what are you doing? Right, here, here I am, we're on a podcast, we're friends, you're not my boss, right? You're, you're not a customer that we're paying a bunch of money to, but I had the, the courtesy to, to wear a jacket and make sure that you know, I'm prepared. It's, it's an etiquette thing, right? Like what you're talking about. I see people get on these Zoom calls and they're eating and they're messy and they're, you know, there's all kinds of noises. And it's like, I find it that like they're disrespecting the other people that are in the call. They're not paying attention to etiquette. And it, it seems to be that because it's virtual, because it's on a Zoom call, they think it's okay. It's not okay. Because they're at home and they're more <clears throat> relaxed at home but this is still business like so i don't have my jacket but i've got on a, a, a nice uh, sweater with a sweater on top you look professional thank you right i'm not wearing a tie no you don't you don't have to be you don't have to take it to some crazy extreme right. it's just a matter of even something simple like if you look at I have a series of videos that I put out called Coffee, Coffee Break with John. They're like three to five minute videos. And I think I started putting them out towards the beginning of, of all this COVID stuff. If you go back and you look to those early ones, you will see in my background, you'll see a bookcase in some of them. You'll see a couch in other ones because it was at the beginning of all this stuff. And all I had was, was my office, right? Now, what you see behind me is a nice clean wall that I literally just painted this last weekend. I have professional lights that I bought. Now, I, I'm, I'm not telling everybody you have to go out and do that, but this is what I do for a living. So I look at it like I have to be at a different level when I go on a Zoom call because I'm talking to people about communicating. Yes. I can't go on a Zoom call telling you that you know you have to communicate clearly and then you can barely hear me because I have some $10 microphone or something, Yeah. right? I've right. spent the money to get a lavalier microphone. I've got noise canceling headsets for, for certain types of meetings. Mm -hmm. If I know it's garbage day and I know for sure you're going to hear the garbage trucks coming by, well, then I wear my noise canceling headset, mm -hmm. right? See? So it's not to say that everyone has to take it to an extreme, 
but there are certain things with business etiquette that you, you don't change the rules or throw the rules out the window just because you're on a Zoom call, not face-to-face. -face. But I think it's professional for both sexes to have your video on. I agree. This is actually a big hot button. Uh, this comes up with a lot of the, the classes that I teach when we get to Q&A. People will ask if they should make it mandatory that everyone be on video, right? Because especially if I just got through teaching a class and I'm talking about communication and how more of our communication is our body language and our tonality, right? A very small percentage of our communication is actually the words that we use. More of it is, that's why I, I make it a point when I go on camera, I'm standing up right now. Right, because the way we talk, the way we breathe, the way we communicate is different when we're standing. We pay more attention. Yes. Our breathing is much more deliberate. You can see my body language. You can see I talk with my hands a lot, so you can see my hands. If I were teaching a class more specifically involving body language, I would tilt my, I specifically set this up. I switched my entire office around so that I can get more of myself on the camera, right? I have a big blank wall behind me with no distractions. So you can see if I'm trying to teach someone about body language, you know, don't slump your shoulders, don't talk shallow. You can't see or hear that as well if I'm sitting down like slouched in a chair. So all, all of those little things matter. And when it comes to being on camera, what I always suggest to people is before you make it mandatory for anyone to be on camera, I would in a one-on-one -on -one conversation find out why they aren't on the camera. Because I think people tend to make an assumption that they get, they're not on camera because they're multitasking, they're doing something else, they're not paying attention. They're not engaged in the conversation, that's not good. You should be on camera. Well, maybe. But maybe they're not on camera because they're home doing Zoom calls for work. Their spouse is doing Zoom calls for work. Their two or three kids are on Zoom for their classes for school. And they're all on the Wi-Fi. And when everybody gets on Zoom on the Wi-Fi at the same time, it gets all grainy and, you know, they, they lose audio or video quality. And it has nothing to do with them not wanting to be on camera. It's, it's just impractical. Well, but if you have a one-on-one -on -one conversation, you could find that out. Yeah, I, I, I can see that in, I guess, in those situations. But I like that you said the one-on-ones to find out what your situation is. Right. Maybe some people don't have an area to be in because I've heard some people are even working doing, you know, out of their closets, you know, <laughs> and, and this is where we have to be right now. I have a very simple fix for, for people that have limited space. They have, um, I don't know what they call them, but they have green screens that attach to an office chair. They strap onto the back of an office chair and they cover just enough behind you that you can use the green screen functionality on Zoom to put whatever background you want. And it goes right on your chair. So if you're in your chair and you're swiveling like this, that thing's swiveling with you. So it doesn't matter what, you could have the messiest 
closet or office or whatever behind you and nobody ever sees it. Um, I thought about getting one of those, but I, I chose the setup that I have because I focus on communication skills. And to me, any, anything that takes me further from uh, connecting with someone genuinely, it, it lessens the quality of the communication. And I know it sounds like a nitpick, but because this is what I do for a living, and I, I don't fault anybody else that, that uses a green screen, I've done it myself. But for me, when my whole specialty is communication, I want everything about it to be as natural and organic as possible. Because sometimes people see a green screen and people are making these little psychological leaps in their mind. Well, if the background is fake, there's like this underlying unspoken bias I think that people have that it, you're, you're not as genuine yeah, because you have a fake background. And I don't make a big deal because there are a lot of people that use green screens and it's just practical. It has nothing to do with them trying to be phony. Yeah, it makes sense. Now my background is pictures of a crown. I work with women, most, you know, a lot of women business owners and I'm focusing on females. It's relevant. I, I actually am looking at getting some shelves so that I can put some things behind me that are relevant. I don't think, I think even just having the blank wall, it feels a little cold, I think, right? It's not very warm. There are no distractions. No distractions, yep. I know that you're completely paying attention to my questions. You're able to answer them right. There's no, there's no distraction. So yep. when you're looking at my background, all you should be seeing is things of some female empowerment type right. things. About, we were talking before about the diversity, inclusion and equity. It used to just be diversity and inclusion. Now equity has been added on. That's like a, a big push in, in HR and a lot of areas. And I stayed away from it. Um, like I said, I'm not an HR professional. There are specific laws um, and rules about diversity and inclusion that I'm not well-versed in. So it's not my place to, to speak on that. I worry sometimes though that there becomes a perception just like with, uh, like with, with quotas. I think sometimes there's a perception that like, let's say, for example, I got some Hispanic scholarship. There are some people that will perceive, oh, well, you only got it because you're Hispanic, right? They had it set aside for Latinos. You wouldn't have been able to get a scholarship if you weren't a minority. I worry sometimes about that aspect of the, diver the diversity conversation, yeah. where we end up doing ourselves a disservice, creating, I just hate to create you do anything to create the impression that the only reason that I would be able to do something or get something was because I'm a minority and it was made easier for me because of some uh, law or rule or scholarship or something like that. I like that because I'm a woman of I'm a woman of color, so I definitely like that. I work hard. What I'm doing, I'm working very hard on. I have no no funding. I'm not getting any grants because of me being a woman or a woman of color. 
this is coming out of our pocket, you know, but we're doing it. So that means that we're doing it, right? There is no judgment of, or no one can look at us and say, well, the only reason, just like you said, the only reason you're able to do this. No, no, that's not. I think I, I think I got a very strong sense of that because of my dad being in the military. In the, the military is, is very much like a meritocracy where you have to earn things. And like he was in the Green Berets and that's, that's a very elite thing. And there, it's almost like a mantra with them. The standard is the standard, right? My dad, when he joined the army, he was, I think he was like five, four, about 113 pounds. Well, when you go to boot camp in the army, they don't care if you're tall, short, white, black, Latino. If the standard says you do this many push-ups and sit-ups, you do them. Nobody cares where you came from or who your dad is. You either meet the standard or you don't. And if you don't meet the standard, then adios, muchacho. You, you do not get in that organization. Yeah. It's not a perfect world, but I think it's, it is the culture of the military is much more a meritocracy where you earn everything. And the standard is the standard. And even things that people could perceive as being discriminatory, like a, a good example, when I was in, in high school, one of my friends that was in my ROTC unit, he already had, he was, had been involved in civil air patrol for years, and he had already gotten a, uh, a pilot's license when he was a teenager. That's great. And he could not become a pilot in the Air Force because he was too short. Because the, the, you can't be too short or too tall. There's a, a, a height and a weight range for pilots. Like every plane can only accommodate a certain body size within a, a range of height and, height and weight. And if you're too big or too small, you can't fly that plane. There's no jumper seats or, you know, you can't put a phone book under you to sit on when you're in a fire plane. But the standard is the standard, right? They didn't apply that standard to him only. That was everybody. It's, it's no different than, you know, if you couldn't do the, the correct number of push-ups or pull-ups. That's just what the standard is. John, you're making some very interesting points out of everything that you've said, everything we've talked about, what our organization is about, what you're doing in your, your field, and is speaking with us today. Very, first of all, thank you for taking the thank time. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. The final wrap-up question we have for you is, do you have any advice for our audience or questions for Dubai's daughter or advice for us? Anything that you would like to leave that would help whoever listens to our podcast or help us as Dubai's daughter? I think learning business etiquette has value in so many different ways. But I think one of the most important aspects of learning that business etiquette is so you have a standard for yourself. So if you get, let's say you interview at some company and it turns out to be like my first job out of college and people are using F-bombs like a comma and they're disrespectful and they, they don't, you know, they talk to women like they're second class citizens. By having that knowledge of business etiquette and the proper way to do certain things, you can immediately identify, this is not a place I wanna be. I have a standard for me 
And part of it is because I learned that business etiquette and I'm not going to put myself in a position where I have to be treated less than or be disrespected because that's the culture in that company. That's just not the fit for me. I think that that's one of the biggest positives of learning it. And especially like what you're doing, teaching it to people at a young enough age that they can carry that through their entire career. I think it's very important too. I appreciate all of your, your great, great information. And again, for taking the time just to speak with us. It's much easier to remember. It's johnsanchezusa.com. That's a lot easier than the one thing that I, I would recommend people check out. I put out a series of videos. They're just three to five minute little snippets. I call it Coffee Break with John. They're on my, uh, my company YouTube channel. Um, but I also post them on my Instagram, which is FPA John is my Instagram handle. Um, so you'll see them there. And they're, they're typically on different topics. Mo a lot of them are, are communications related. But uh, my podcast that I do with a couple of colleagues of mine focuses on four specific areas of personal development that we put together in an acronym RAMP, R-A-M-P. So the R is for routines and habits. The A is for achievements and goals. The M is for mindset. And then the P is for purpose and priorities. So those little three to five minute snippet videos will typically relate to one of those or maybe more than one. That's very, very interesting. I hope you guys heard it. R-A-M-P. Um, check, out, check out our podcast, which I'm going to have you on soon. Uh, it's called On Ramp to Success. On Ramp to Success podcast. Yep. So they're on YouTube and... I don't know all of the ones that we're on. I know we're on Apple Podcasts, we're on Stitcher, um, Spotify, uh, and then there's a couple of other ones I don't, I don't remember, but on, a, on our podcast website, it has links to all the different platforms that we're on. Okay. Well, YouTube for sure, and then a bunch of the popular audio only. John is in communication, and this is one of the reasons why we had you on, because that is a huge part of business etiquette. So we definitely thank you for your time. We thank you all for listening and we will speak with you soon.